books and turn to uh, page 11 in your songbooks as we get started this morning. Oh, worship the King. The words of this song, page 11 in our songbooks. Oh, worship the King. Oh, worship the King, oh, glorious above. Oh, gratefully sing his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of his might, oh, sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space. His chariots of wrath, the deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Thy bountiful care, what tongue can recite? It breathes in the air, it shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, in thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Amen. And let's do another one, page 186. 186, and can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And the answer is yes. Amen. 186, and can it be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can Let me hear you. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? On the third, he left his father's throne above, so free he so wins finite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free for oh my God found out me amazing love. How can it? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thy light diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. Thy foes went forth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine Alive in him my living head And clothed in righteousness deep 
bold I approach the eternal throne. Claim the crown through Christ, my own amen, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. This is a time that we have dedicated to your worship. And Lord, as we are assembled here, we're thankful for each one. We ask that you would help us to realize we're singing the songs that we sing. Not to each other, not just to make a, a joyful noise, but to make a joyful noise unto you. Lord, we're thankful that your love has saved us that we can come before the very creator God of the universe, that we can hold in our hands your words. Lord, we ask that you would do business in each heart and life here this morning, that we may bring glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz. All right, now let's turn to page 10 of your hymn books. Page 10, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in sinners' ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come. And we be lame for joy. Amen. And we'll sing one more song, 822, past the index, 822, our great Savior. Amen. 822. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me, He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me too. Jesus, what a strength in weakness Let me hide myself in Him Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing Be my strength, my victory wins Hallelujah, what a Savior Saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, He my so let's sing it out. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah. 
I will sing this forth as the last. Jesus, what a guide and keeper while the tempest still is high. Storms about me, night overtakes me. He, my pilot, hears my cry. Just before the message this morning, I'm going to have a song by the family here. Just listen to the words and pray they'll prepare your hearts for the message. Children dismissed at this time for the children's church. And take your Bibles. We'll start our journey through the Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. And this morning I'd like to preach by God's grace about the words and uh, the words of the Scripture. We uh, believe that this book called the Bible does not contain but is the very words of God. Now, there's a difference. You see, if this contains the words of God, 
then it's my job to sift through this thing and find out which words belong in here and which words don't. If this is the Word of God, then all of the words belong in here and I better get obedient. Amen? There, there's a difference. And as we live today, we live in a day when words mean very little, do they not? I mean, someone says, I give you my word on it. Sign a contract, please. Does the contract mean anything? Not if you got a good enough lawyer, it doesn't. I mean, words mean very little in our day and time, do they not? In fact, we can say things four or five different ways. In fact, there was a man that wrote a very humorous book a little while back of all of these double meaning sayings. He said, if you have an employee that you just want to get rid of and you want somebody else to hire him, he says, what you can say is you can say that no pay would be too high for this employee. Now stop and think about that a minute. He said, what you're saying is that if you didn't pay this employee at all, you would be giving him too much money. But if you look at it the other way, you're saying, oh, he really likes this guy. You, could, you couldn't pay him enough. And, and our language goes both ways. You never know really what anybody's saying, do you? Now, it ought not be that way at church, amen? You ought to be able to understand what's going on. And one of the biggest battles that is fighting today, uh, I should have brought the little paper into the um, pulpit here and read you some of the differences, but I, I got a Bible catalog from Christian book distributors. You think that would be pretty safe, right? And they had 1 John, not 1 John, but John chapter 3, verse 5, which says, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Do you know what the message says? It's a translation. It's called the message. It says, Unless... You submit to this original creation. You cannot see God. Does that make any sense to anybody? Let me tell you, that's Buddhism. That's not Bible. That is reaching back into the mystical nebulous of the eternal nothingness which is the goal of Buddhism, and saying, unless you submit to the original creation, I mean, who wouldn't want to submit to original creation? Because none of us ever saw it. It's not something you can do. People love to argue about the Word. I had a little cartoon that got lost over the years, but it was uh, several Greek scholars sitting around a translation uh, of those scriptures, and they were all looking, and the, the one guy says, I don't care if it says yes or not. It means no. And, and people want to argue about the words. They want to change the words because once you have the authority to change the words, you have become God. Now, you just have to spell it right. It's little g, little o, little d. Amen? Uh, because you can sit here all you want and change the words, but that does not change the words of God. In fact, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, He said, Not one jot nor one tittle should disappear from the law until all be fulfilled. Let me tell you, all has not yet been fulfilled. David said in, in Psalms chapter 12 that the words of the Lord are pure. He said they're tried in a furnace of earth seven times. Now, nothing is lost. What I hold in my hand in the English language is an old 
King James Bible. It has not been tampered with. It's not been changed. It's not been modified. You see, God promised to preserve his word. Someone said, yes, in the original languages. But if we translate those original languages, do we not take the preservation with it? I met a preacher one time. He said, my Bible's not pickled. It's not preserved. Then what is its fault? His actually was, because he wasn't using one of these. Amen? We want to look at what God does with his word. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, if you're not already there. Genesis chapter 1. And I'm just going to read part of several verses. I want to read all of verse 3. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. It said, and It didn't say, And God made light. It says, And God said. Now, normally, when you say something, what are you doing? You are speaking words. Amen? Now, I just want to read the first part. Follow down with me. Verse 9. And God said. Verse 11. And God said. How about we skip down to, um, where am I at? Verse 14. And God said. Then we come down here to verse 20. And God said again, didn't he? And we come down here to verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creature. We come down to verse 26. And God said, let us make man. And we come down to verse 28. And God blessed them and God said unto them. In verse 29. And God said Again, verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let me just read you Hebrews 11, verse 3. It says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear when we talk about the words of god you can sit in an ivory palace if you want some theological cemetery if you so desire and i did pronounce that the way i wanted to not seminary but cemetery cuz that's where most people end up they go to such places And you can argue about the words all day long, but you're walking on them, my friend. Everything that is in this universe was framed by the Word of God. God spoke, and everything that now is, out of nothing, became. Now, when's the last time you got a rock and maybe a hammer and you started arguing about the existence of that rock, and you started pounding it down into powder, and you said, there, I've done away with that rock. Did you do it? No, you just changed the form, didn't you? You see, the Bible tells us that God framed the worlds with his words. He spoke, and it happened. Now, we don't argue about the existence of matter. It's there. You're sitting on it. Amen? Uh, I am glad that there's big steel beams in the basement that are holding the floor up. Uh, That way we can come in here and assemble up here, and the Spanish language congregation is downstairs, and Portuguese is in the... Uh, chapel area there before the children's church came in and we can meet in here. This building is all put together in such a way that we can use it. All we did was take things that God made and form them and put them together for our use. Amen. God spoke and those things 
be king. The creation of the world happened because God said so. Now, God did some interesting things in creation, did he not? How many of you know what a duck-billed platypus is? You ever heard of such a creature? I mean, honestly, what it looks like is God had a box of extra parts after creation. It's got a bill and web feet like a duck. It's a warm-blooded creature, and it, it uh, uh, gives milk to its young as a mammal does, but it lays eggs like a reptile does. And it has poison spurs under its back legs like a lizard and other reptiles have. And it lives half in the water and half on land. It's an amphibian. It is a little bit of everything. Now, I just believe that God had enough a sense of humor that he made that thing and says, <laughs> what's man going to do with that? God knew evolution was going to come along. Evolution is at a loss to explain the duck-billed platypus. And by the way, evolution doesn't explain the one-celled amoeba, let alone the 10 trillion-celled human being. Someone says, ah, we came from monkeys. Look at all the similarities. Well, might I suggest to you that if from the time you were in kindergarten you were told that you were a monkey's uncle, or a, actually a monkey's nephew, and all through first grade through twelfth grade you were told that you were a descendant of an animal, and you were encouraged to behave as an animal, that when you got to be a teenager and started acting like one, would it really be that big of a deal? And yet we complain about the way people behave today and we say, why? Oh, uh, what is the future going to behold? All these kids are acting like animals. Well, you're the idiot that taught them they were an animal. How about if we start teaching that they're human beings again, maybe they'll start acting like them. Amen? We have a word. And we can see the evidence of that word everywhere we go. Amen? Look up into the sky at night if you ever get a chance to get out of the city lights and you're going to see more stars than your mind can conceive. And yet you're only seeing the first layer because the human eye cannot see beyond. We have huge Radi uh, radar telescopes on earth that are able to penetrate thousands of light years into space and bring us back pictures of what's there. The Hubble telescope, they say, has taken a picture of the edge of the universe 13.5 billion light years away. You know what? God does things right when he talks. Amen? His words brought all of those things into being. You say, Pastor, why are we spending so much time? What does creation have to do with this book called the Bible? Well, I want you to understand the same God that created the mountains and the universe and the planets and the asteroids. When he spoke, those things became, and he gave us this book right here. Now, men have uh, invented all kinds of science fiction of how we're going to alter Earth's orbit and how we're going to destroy Earth's climate with greenhouse gases and how that we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Let me tell you something. You're not going to mess up God's creation. Oh, you might make a little part of it really bad. How many know the story of Bikini Atoll, a little island in the South Pacific, that in the 1950s, the United States Defense Department took a 50-megaton nuclear bomb and evaporated the island. There's just little bits of it left. 
You know what they're doing on Bikini Atoll now, 50-some years later? It's a tourist place. They're fishing. They're swimming. They're taking people to visit there. Man cannot change. He can alter it to a degree. He can make a big mess of things. But God created this world with a resilience that man just can't understand. Lake Erie. Anybody ever been to Cleveland, Ohio? Or Michigan? Lake Erie in the 70s. The Love Canal that flowed through part of Cleveland into Lake Erie used to catch on fire on a regular basis. The water burned. Uh, needless to say, it wasn't all water. They're fishing in Lake Erie today. God spoke and created these things. You can't argue with God's Word. And then, if we can't argue with His Word in creation, why do we argue with His Word that's written down? You see, when we argue with this book, what we're simply doing is we're looking for an excuse. And we call it reason. But you know what an excuse is, don't you? It's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. I can't make it to work today. I'm not feeling very good. Yeah, I'm not feeling very good about work, right? Let me tell you, God is not into excuses, amen? He's into reality. And the same God that spoke and created this world spoke these words to his prophets and they've been written down. You can argue about what version you want to use all day long. But I'll suffice it to say, if you'll just simply examine the facts, if you speak and understand the English language, you want the old King James Bible and nothing else. You say, but all the these and the thous are in there and those real complicated words. Do you know that these and the thous are extremely important to you today? Because you can tell the, the tense and the voice and the person to which is being spoken to. Thee, thou, thy, thine is speaking to you as an individual. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have to get saved by yourself. No one else can get saved for you. You can't be born that way. You have to be born again that way. It has to happen to you as an individual. Groups do not get saved. Individuals get saved. But in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus was talking to the apostles, he said, Go ye therefore into all the world. That was not for individuals. That was for the church to go together as a collective unit. In a few weeks, our missions conference is coming up, and I can't wait. I'm excited about what our church has done for missions in this past year and what I'm praying, and I want you to pray about what our church is going to do for missions in the coming year. It's a wonderful thing to be used of God, but it says, go ye, therefore. That's plural. That's something we must do together because no individual has the right to just go out and start their own church. Churches start churches. You, amen. Churches send out missionaries. Ye. Churches support missionaries. Ye. We work together. And the best part about it is there's no denominational headquarters. Well, there actually is. It's in heaven, amen. It's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is the head. We don't have to have some big guru sitting in an office telling everybody what to do. That is such a blessing. And it also is a responsibility. 
that responsibility is right here. You want to look at the responsibility for missions, world missions, look in the mirror. And then come to church. And together we work to get the job done. God spoke. His word created everything that now is. People uh, want to exp- try to explain away all of these things, but they can't. We did a series on evolution a, f- a couple of years ago. And uh, interestingly enough, the oldest bone fragment in geological record, human bone fragment, is an elbow joint. And it just happens to be that part of the human anatomy which is a true determining factor. You could take that part of an elbow joint of any ape any, and tell whether it's perfectly ape or perfectly human. It, there's, there's absolutely uh, uh, no way that you could make a mistake. And that elbow joint has been examined by some men who were not tainted by evolution And it was examined by another doctor who didn't really know what he was looking at, and he pronounced this elbow joint perfectly modern man. But when the evolutionists found out, they said that's not possible to be perfectly modern man because man had to evolve. Therefore, we're either going to change the date or we're going to change the classification because that evidence contradicts evolution. That is a ridiculous way of doing life, isn't it? And yet, as we move on to the next point this morning, I want you to think about something. What do you do when the Bible disagrees with you? What do you personally do when the Bible disagrees with you. You see, you can either change the words or you can go to God and ask Him to change you. I prefer to go to God and let Him change me. Amen? Now, we don't always do that. That's why it's called sin. And let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, I mean chapter 1 and verse 23 again. If you're there, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you're saved today, You're saved because the Word of God had an effect in your life. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll spend a few minutes here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 4. We talk about Jesus Christ and the life that He lived and the sufferings He suffered and the death that He died on the cross. We understand that Jesus paid the price for sin when he died on the cross. Now, there's actually, believe it or not, debate about that. People say, well, he only died for Adam's sin, or he only died for some sins, or he only paid for this, or he only paid for that. You've got to pay for other things. Now, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. That means good news which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, 
if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. How? Read this next phrase out loud with me, please. According to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Out loud again, please. According to the Scriptures. Jesus was here. He lived on this earth. And what he did was obey God's words. Now, if those words are in question... If we're not sure which of those words really belong in there and which ones of those words don't belong in there, how in the world can we verify if Jesus actually obeyed the words of God or the Scriptures if we don't even know what the Scriptures are? And so if you go to a church or have been to a church where someone picks up the Bible and begins to tell you, well, we believe that this is a good translation, but no one really has the true words of God. What he has just said is he has no way of verifying whether Jesus actually obeyed the Scriptures or not because he doesn't know what they are. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of God would it be that would give us verses like this in the Bible which says Jesus died and fulfilled the Scriptures and then not preserved the Scriptures so that we can't know whether He actually did it or not? That's confusion. Try that at work some... No, don't try that at work sometime. You'll get fired. They give you a brand new computer. How many of you have ever gotten a brand new computer at work? There comes a little book that says, look on the CD-ROM for 40,000 pages of information on how to run this computer, right? Isn't that the way it works? Have you ever tried to spiritualize those rules? It says, push option P to print. Well, I don't feel like pushing option P. I'm going to try control option P. And it erases your hard drive or some horrible thing. Or just sits at you and stares at you and doesn't do anything. I hate when a computer does that. You see, the computer is not the problem, now is it? It's the input that is the problem. When you're given a tech manual, you better just do what it says. Amen? We have a couple of nurses here today. They're given instructions on how to treat patients. When the doctor says give so many milligrams of a medication, you don't spiritualize that and say, they're not feeling good. I'll give them an extra dose to make them feel better, right? I don't want a nurse like that, do you? I want somebody who's going to follow the words that the doctor said. And I'm going to pray that the doctor had enough sense to write the right ones down on the piece of paper, right? When it comes to salvation, the only way you're going to get into heaven, my friend, is obeying the words that are in this book called the Bible. And if you're struggling with that thing today and you're not sure about your salvation, there's only one way for you to make sure about it, and that's immerse yourself in the words of this book until it takes a hold and gets a, uh, gets a hold of you and changes who and what you are so you can understand them. The only way you're going to get into heaven is through the words of this book. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There was a group of preachers several years ago out on the West Coast, and they were going to debunk the New Testament and get rid of all of these words that really didn't belong in there. 
When they came to John chapter 14, verse 6, they knew that Jesus would never, ever say anything like that. He would never be so dogmatic as to say he was the only way. Now, wait a minute. What you're saying is Jesus, the Bible claimed and makes the truth that Jesus is God, that God left heaven, came down here and died on the cross so he could give you another option? Does that make any sense at all? I mean, you have to be an idiot in the medical sense. That's an IQ below 60. I mean, it is, it is down there. House plants are like 25. And I mean, you're just really, um, I mean, you're just really stretching the limits of ignorance there to say that Jesus left heaven and did all of this stuff just so you could have a different option and a different approach. God was so serious about the cross because it is the only way sinful man can come to God. Now comes the next question. What about the aborigines in Africa and Australia that never heard the gospel? Well, you read Romans chapter 1, it says they can look into creation and know that there is a God. And the Bible tells us that if anyone will call to God, he will make a way that they can understand and they can get saved. It says, so they are without excuse, Romans chapter 1. But my question for you is, are you going to let something you don't know something that no person in this world has enough information to answer this question. Because none of us can hop in H.G. Wells' time machine and go back 3,000 years to Aboriginal Australia and find out what they really knew or didn't know. We can't do that. And so you're going to let the ignorance of a question that cannot be answered because no living human being has the information keep you out of heaven? and keep you from obeying the words that are right in front of you? That's why I say we're always looking for a reason to argue about the words so that we can have an excuse not to obey them. When God's word disagrees with us, it's our duty to go to God and ask him to change us. It's our duty to come before the Creator and recognize the authority and, and the superiority and any other uh, adjective in that group you want to put in there of God's Word and submit ourselves to those words and ask God to fix us instead of having the arrogant approach to come to this book and try to fix it so I can understand it. I used to be an automobile mechanic. I worked mostly, worked mostly on big buses and, and things. And this was before they put computers and everything. And, and uh, I could get under the hood of a car. And I could say, man, all this computer stuff, it doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I'll just take it out. I'll fix it up like it used to be. Would you like me to work on your car? Hmm? Some people wouldn't, you wouldn't like me to work, I'll fix it up like it used to be back in the, in the 70s and the early 80s where all those computers were there. Do you think you'd pass the emissions test? Not on your life. Do you think it would run? Probably not. And if it did, it wouldn't run the way it was supposed to. Because those computers do all kinds of things. And that's exactly the approach people take to the Word of God. I'll just fix it up my way. You wouldn't do that in a restaurant, I hope. That'd make a mess, wouldn't it? Listen, there's words here. God's careful about these words, and we'll be done in just a few minutes. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. 
Look at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I write now unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the, read that word with me, words. Try it again. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, you know what Peter just did right there? He said, the words that I'm writing down right now are exactly the same authority and the same quality as the prophets in the Old Testament. That's a pretty high claim, isn't it? But it's true. History has verified the veracity of that statement. The preservation of these words are unlike any other book in the history of mankind. One of the things that the Islamist loves to argue is, you have so many versions of, of the Bible and we have only one Quran. Well, that's not true. There are several different versions of the Quran. And they do have one that's supposed to be in Medina at the tomb of Muhammad that is supposed to be the original, original, whatever. But there are 26,500 manuscripts of the New Testament alone. How do you like that for textual history? How many of you had to read Homer's Iliad in school? And the Odyssey and all those wonderful books. Remember those things? Aren't they just great? You know how many copies of Homer's Iliad we had? I think we have about eight copies, and they're all more than a thousand years removed from the days of Homer. And yet the world believes that they have the text of Homer's Iliad. We have 26,500 manuscripts from just little bits of verses to complete copies of the New Testament. We have this book translated into a multitude of different languages. And if you go through all of those things, I love the, the testimony of Robert Dick Wilson, one of, the found, one of the early professors at Princeton Seminary. He said, I have studied every language into which the Old Testament was translated. I have studied and read every translation in that language. And someone said, what is the greatest truth you ever learned, Professor Wilson? He said, the greatest truth is that Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's the greatest truth. Amen. Most scholarship that is out there today has one purpose. It is to make the scholar look smart. That's the purpose of most scholarship, is it not? Think about it. Next time you listen to radio and some, some other idiot's written another book about something that doesn't need to be written about, why do they do this? Because they want to make themselves look intelligent. Why would a pastor get up in a pulpit, a man who calls himself a pastor anyway, get up in a pulpit and say, we have a good translation here, but in my in-depth studies of the original languages, which he's never seen in original manuscripts because they haven't existed for over thousands of years. But anyway, I've studied things I've never seen, and this word should have been better translated such and such. What has this guy just done? I'm smarter than anybody you've ever met. Now, in the Bible, it's got a word for that. It's called pride, which is a great we're not here to make ourselves look smart we're here to remember the words that God gave us look what else it says knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation for this they willingly are ignorant of, 
that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, look what it says in verse 7, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The word of God spoke and everything that now is out of nothing became. Creation was through the word. Salvation is through the word. And God's condemnation of all ungodliness is coming through the word. You read the book of Revelation. Three quarters of this world's population is going to die in less than seven years. You talk about judgment. That's it. It's coming. What the men say? They say, I mean, this was written by Peter. Sixty-something A.D. at the very latest. Look what he says here. In verse 9, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. People accuse God of being careless about His promise because it's taken so long for Him to return. God says that's not carelessness, that's not slackness. That's long-suffering on my part to give you the opportunity to turn from your sins and be saved. Look then, verse 11. It says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That's the last question for today. You see, these words tell us some things, do they not? They tell us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They tell us that Jesus Christ paid the price for all sins one time on the cross. They say that, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're saved today, say amen. If you've had a disagreement in your life this past week with the Word of God, say, oh me, oh me, that's me. How about you? Come on, let's try that again. Let's be honest. If you've had a disagreement with the Word of God, if you've sinned this past week, you need to say, oh me. Here we go. Oh me. That's a mess, isn't it? Now, when we disagree with the Word of God, it's called sin on our part. We need to bring that sin to God and get it straightened out because these words tell us that Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when. But we had better be ready. Amen? Let me just read that verse 11 and then we're done. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask this question. Lord, what manner of persons ought we to be? The answer is according to thy word. We ask that you would do that in each heart and life today. We pray that we would not make ourselves critics or judges of your word. We pray that we would be not of those who sit there and look at the Bible and say, well, part of it is and part of it isn't. Or Lord, that we would just simply read those words. And obey them by your grace and through your strength. We ask that you would have your will and way in this time of invitation. And Lord, once again, that we would worship you.
with the gifts of obedience, with the sacrifices of a broken and contrite spirit, understanding our failures and your goodness, our shortcomings, your holiness, our sin, your payment, our failures, your victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.